Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. How do you deal with frustration? How do you deal with obstacles? How do you have pl- yeah, refer the, refer them to the pastor. <clears throat> you have plans and you have dreams and you have hopes and you have goals. And I know that for a lot of us, even though we may not necessarily be uh, involved in setting New Year's resolutions much anymore, we, we still have ideas in our heart, in our mind as to the things we want to do in the, in the days, weeks, months ahead. And as Pastor David was saying a while ago, this next year is going to be a great year. It's going to be a great year. We do not have a crystal ball that we can look into the future to see exactly what's going to be happening this next year. But we know the one who has created all of our tomorrows, amen? And we know that he holds all things in the palms of his hand. And as long as we continue to walk in fellowship with him, whatever comes, he will see us through it. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to be faced with uh, obstacles. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be faced with problems and with concerns, with issues and with burdens. And the question again is, how do you deal with those? How do you spend the time, your time, um, waiting, watching, working, whatever it is that you do, trying to resolve those issues, those concerns, those problems, those obstacles? I want you to turn in your Bible, if you will, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 15. The book of Acts, chapter 15. And while you're turning there, we, we don't say thank you enough uh, to folks. And I, I just simply want to, while you're turning into Acts chapter 15, I want to say thank you to Landon and to Nancy, to Sean, to Laura, to Nate, to Teresa, to Pastor David for leading us in our time of worship. Uh, these folks are here week in and week out to um, take us before the throne of God's grace and mercy. I also want to thank uh, Mike and Russ and Phil for their work uh, in the AV, uh, providing the ministry that they provide for us uh, in the worship time together. We want to let you know that we appreciate you guys uh, very, very much more than you will ever know for helping us, aiding us in our time together in worship. In Acts chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verses 36 through chapter 16, verse 11. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36 through chapter 16, verse 11. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. 
Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and who had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were of Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go with them, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were there in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. This is the word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of his word. This was the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. The first missionary journey is recorded in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. In that first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas met a lot of difficulties and a lot of dangers and a lot of challenges, but they also experienced great success in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those in Asia Minor. Two years after that first missionary journey, the Holy Spirit of God moved upon Paul's spirit to consider once again another missionary journey to go and to strengthen the existing churches and to evangelize and to plant new churches. Paul thought upon these things with great anticipation of greater successes that could be experienced in the kingdom of God. However, from the very start of this missionary journey, there were problems. There were problems. 
You've probably heard the saying that problems are opportunities in work clothes. Have you ever heard that? The problem is an opportunity dressed in work clothes. All too often, when people face problems, especially nowadays, when people face problems, they kind of throw up their hands and walk away from the problem. Rather than to sit down and try to figure it out, try to work through it, try to get counsel uh, to help them understand what the problem is all about, what the sources are, what the options could be, they have a tendency of just walking away from the problems. But problems are opportunities in work clothes. But I want to uh, give another saying to you this morning, and that is that obstacles, and we all face obstacles, but obstacles can be a blessing in disguise. Obstacles can be a blessing in disguise. Oftentimes, people will treat obstacles like they treat problems. As a matter of fact, they'll look at an obstacle as being a problem. But obstacles do not necessarily come to us to thwart our plans or to to be a roadblock uh, to our progress. Oftentimes, an obstacle can simply be a challenge that will motivate us to work through that obstacle, to find a pathway through it or around it so that we might continue on doing what God has burdened our heart to do. Obstacles can be a blessing in disguise. Now note uh, in chapter 15 when we, uh, at the beginning of the passage that we read, as Paul was considering this second missionary journey, of course, he would go to Barnabas, who, is, who was his friend and companion and benefactor on the first missionary journey. But Barnabas said, let's take John Mark and go with us. Now, if you know anything about the first missionary journey, you'll know that uh, Barnabas was um, um, a mentor to the Apostle Paul. He was from the island of Cyprus. And on that first missionary journey, Barnabas wanted his cousin, John Mark, to join with them. But as they began their journey, as things got a little tough, John Mark decided that this was not for him, and so he turned around and he left and went back home. Now Barnabas, who is the son of consolation, that's what his name means, Barnabas, who was a compassionate man, Barnabas, who was an understanding man, Barnabas, who was a spiritually mature Christian, understood uh, what John Mark had decided to do. The Apostle Paul, however, was um, a spitfire to say the least. He was a spark plug on fire. And when uh, John Mark abandoned them and turned to go back home rather than continuing on in the missionary journey, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of got miffed by that. Uh, he didn't get kind of miffed. He got hot under the collar by that. And he held that in his heart and in his mind. That he had no patience and he had no, uh, no um, time nor, uh, nor space for an individual who couldn't tough it out in ministry. And so when Paul approached Barnabas to go on the second missionary journey and Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us, Paul dug in his heels. Paul said, ain't no way that's going to happen. And they argued 
about this. And as the text tells us, the Apostle Paul used some very sharp words in arguing with his friend, his mentor, his benefactor, his companion, the Apostle Barnabas. But out of obstacles, there can be blessing. And that's what I want us to consider this morning. This last year, we've met a lot of problems. Did we not? You nod yourself. Yes, you have. There have been a lot of obstacles. Not only obstacles in the political world, not only obstacles in the financial world, not only obstacles in the business world, but even the Christian church has faced a lot of obstacles this past year. And if you listen to the talking heads, there are going to be a lot of other obstacles this coming year. However, I want to, like Pastor Chris had mentioned at the beginning of the service, I want us to shift our focus away from the things that stand in the way of ministry, and I want us to see obstacles as an opportunity for blessing. Now, you can't do that if you're focused in on the obstacles. You can't do that if you're focused in on the problems. You can't do that if you're focused in on the issues. You can only do that if your focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can only do that if your heart is tuned to His voice in your life. You can't do that if your uh, heart is tuned to uh, NBC, ABC, CBS, or any of the other news programs. You can only see obstacles as a blessing. You can only understand how obstacles can be a blessing if you're tuned in to the voice of the Lord. Now, this could have been a very disastrous thing for the Apostle Paul when he went to Barnabas, and Barnabas said, I want to take John Mark, and Paul said, no, that's not going to happen, and Barnabas said, I want it to happen, and Paul says, it ain't going to happen, and they argued, and then Paul got really ticked and used some sharp words to uh, confront his friend. The end result was they parted ways. That's blessing number one. That's blessing number one. Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. Now you may very well say, how could that be a blessing? Well, sometimes, dear friends, parting company with individuals can be a blessing if staying with the individual hinders the work of God. Now, I know that at the outset we can't understand that, we can't see that, but as we read through the text we will understand how the parting of the ways between Paul and Barnabas actually became a blessing to the kingdom of God. We have to remember what we're told in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and to those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. The good things, of course we would say the good things, but the bad things, yes, also the bad things. God can take issues and problems and burdens and concerns and obstacles and He can bring some blessing out of that. He can bring some good 
out of that. If we believe that God is sovereign, now if you do not believe that God is sovereign Lord, then you've got a problem. And I don't think you can work through that problem. But if we believe that God is indeed sovereign over his creation, then we can also believe God can take obstacles and use those obstacles to bring about blessing in our lives. And in this situation, God is going to bring a greater blessing out of the life of Paul and out of the life of Barnabas if they part company. So Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. Barnabas took John Mark and went to the island of Cyprus where Barnabas was from and they ministered there on the island of Cyprus. The apostle Paul took Silas who was a leader in the Jerusalem church and they left uh, for the province of Galatia which is now modern day Turkey. So there is a blessing now. And I just simply want to uh, point out one of the cursory blessings. John Mark was not left behind. It could have been a very discouraging thing for the Apostle Paul to have read the riot act to John Mark and to have contended with Barnabas in such a way that John Mark would have been demoralized. But being the man that Barnabas was, not only uh, a cousin, but a mentor, a spiritually mature man, John Mark was saved from uh, spiritual, and I believe from um, mental and even spiritual disaster in his heart and his life. After all, dear friends, it was John Mark who then became a disciple of the Apostle Peter. And because of the Apostle Peter's mentoring John Mark, we have the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. And it is the life of Jesus Christ as Peter recalled the words and the works of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was a disciple with the Lord. So there was some good that came out of this parting of the ways. John Mark recovered from his embarrassing situation. He was mentored for a while by his cousin Barnabas, who was a compassionate, caring mentor, and later became a disciple of the Apostle Peter, who taught him all that Jesus said and done, and as a result, he pinned those words down, and we have the Gospel of Mark. Second blessing. The second blessing. As they passed through Lystra, and on, on, at the beginning of the second missionary journey, Paul enlisted Timothy to join with him. Timothy was a young man. His mother was a Christian. His father was not. She was a Jewess who converted to Christianity. But Timothy was a young man well thought of and well spoken of in the town. Paul was impressed with young Timothy and enlisted him to be a companion in this second missionary journey. The second blessing, a young man who would have been otherwise left to obscurity is enlisted by the Apostle Paul, mentored by the Apostle Paul, 
and becomes a great blessing to the kingdom of God through the work of the second missionary and third missionary journeys. He later became pastor of the church at Ephesus. And as a result of the issues that he faced in pastoring that church, we have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. So there is a second blessing that came as a result of the parting of the ways between Paul and Barnabas. There is a third blessing. As Paul and Timothy and Silas continued on through Asia Minor, uh, through Galatia, they were wanting to go, Paul was wanting to expand his ministry and go north uh, and uh, minister up in the northern provinces of Bithynia and Pontus, but the Holy Spirit said no. Well, then Paul thought about it, and then he decided, well, we can't go north, so I want then to go south. Go south then into the province of Asia Minor, where Paul had ministered before, but the Holy Spirit said no. And so here is Paul with another obstacle. But it is really a blessing in disguise. Paul wanted to go north. Spirit said no. Paul wanted to return south. Spirit said no. Paul was coming from the east, and so he didn't want to turn around and go back to the east. So he decided, well, then we'll just go west. And so they went as far as Troas, which is ancient, the ancient city of Troy. They went as far as Troas, and there was a roadblock because in order to go any further, they'd have to get on a boat and they'd have to sail across the sea. And so Paul was wondering, what in the world are we going to do? We need to remember the words of the Apostle James in chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Paul learned through experience what James teaches us doctrinally, and that is that in all of our efforts in ministry, in all that uh, we would think about and plan to do, we need to consider God's will for our work. God's will for our work. Paul wanted to go north. The Holy Spirit said that's not God's will. Paul then decided to go south. The Holy Spirit said that's not God's will. Paul didn't want to go back to the east because that's where they came from, so he decided he would go west. And now they came to Troas and they met another obstacle. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? God thwarted Paul's plans from going north. And I happen to believe that one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from going north because that's where Peter was. Peter was ministering in the area north of where the Apostle Paul was. 
there would be conflict there. But that's just me spitballing here. But the Spirit said no. Go south, the Spirit said no. So we'll just simply go west. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy stayed at Troas. And that's where Luke joined them there at Troas. And Paul was wondering, what are we going to do? Lord doesn't want me to go north. Lord doesn't want me to go south. What does the Lord want me to do? And that's a very important question to ask, dear friends. When we have obstacles, when we have problems, when we have issues, when we have matters in our lives that we simply can't figure out, there doesn't seem to be a clear window to look through, there doesn't seem to be an open door for us to walk through, we need to ask the Lord, what is it, Lord, that you really want me to do? I have an idea for ministry. I have an idea for evangelism. I have an idea for visitation. I have an idea for education. I have an idea for preaching. But Lord, what is it you want me to do? Why do you think the Lord allows things like COVID-19 or physical disabilities or the loss of a business or a prolonged illness in your own life or in the life of someone that you love? Why does God permit these things to come into our lives? Why does He permit us to suffer hardship and heartache and hindrances in our lives. The better question I want to ask is, what do you do in those times when you face those kinds of issues? When things are not turning out the way you had planned? When your dreams seem to crumble and fade away? When you have gone as far as you can go and you can't see how you're going to get any further on down the road, what do you do in those times? How do you spend that time in Troas? The roadblock. How do you spend that time? I want to submit to you a second thought this morning, and that is obstacles cause us to wait on the Lord. Obstacles can become a great blessing and can bring blessing into our lives, but obstacles also cause us to wait upon the Lord. Look at verses 6 through 9 again, back in Acts 16. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, that's Asia Minor, that was to the south, and had come to Mysia and tried to go to Bithynia, and that's up north. But the Spirit of God did not permit them, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, the roadblock, the end of a line. And that's where they stopped. And that's where Paul said, we're going to wait until we have some instruction from the Lord. For many of us, we pray at roadblocks in life. And that's something that we should do. 
That should be our first action when we see that the door has closed, when we see that the way is obscured, when we cannot think or feel our way around the issue. We need to offer uh, an opportunity for the Lord to speak to our heart and to instruct us on what it is He'd have us to do. So we should take time to pray. But the problem is that we often expect God to answer our prayers almost immediately. For most of us, we're so impatient that when we offer up the prayer, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? We, we, you know, we start looking at the clock. You know, Lord, when are you going to answer my prayer? When are you going to show me what it is you want me to do? When are you going to speak to me and let me know what your plan is? We expect God to deliver us from an unpleasant or an unwanted circumstance right now. Can't wait, God. The issue is, is too hot for me to wait. We've got to have an answer now. Or the open door that you're hoping for. Don't open up according to your time schedule. Sometimes, dear friends, when we reach obstacles that hinder our progress. Sometimes God's answer to our prayer is wait. Wait. Sometimes God would have us to cool our jets and to sit down and to focus our attention on Him to focus our attention on the, on the situation and how He can best lead us through what we are facing. Rather than fretting and asking questions like, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it? Which way will I turn? God would simply have us to wait a while. To wait upon Him for a while. Now, I know that's tough to do. I know that's very difficult for us. You know, we're Californians, right? We're Californians. We've overbooked our time and our schedules for years, thinking that if we're not doing something, if we're not doing anything, then life is going to pass us by. And so we overbook our time. And when we find an obstacle standing in our pathway, and we have to stop for a moment, catch our breath, think things through, wait upon God, we become very uncomfortable. This is not my life normally. I've got to be here. I've got to be there. I've got to be doing this. I've got to be meeting somebody over there. I've got to be spending some money back over here. Uh, you know, I've got, I need to be doing something. I just can't sit and wait. And I know that to be true for a lot of people. I don't know about you, Stanley. But I know for a lot of people, when they retire, when they retire, I've heard this from a lot, a lot of people who've retired. They will tell me they're busier in their retirement than they ever were when they were employed. Was that true with you? Well, Anna, you're not doing your job. 
I know a lot of people become busier in their retirement than they ever were when they were actively employed. And I think for the most part, dear friends, it's not because they have a lot of things they have to do. They just can't stand being inactive. They get bored. Better yet, their wives can't put up with them anymore. And they want them out of the house. They want them out doing something. Find something to do. You're driving me nuts. We just can't sit still. We just can't sit still. But if you're walking with the Lord, if you're walking with the Lord, He will lead you in His own time. He will lead you to do what He wants you to do in His own time. Listen to the words of a missionary who wrote over a hundred years ago. She wrote, I'll stay where you put me. I will, dear Lord, though I wanted so badly to go. I was eager to march with the rank and file. Yes, I wanted to lead them, you know. I planned to keep step to the music loud, to cheer when the banners unfurled, to stand in the midst of the fight, straight and proud. But I'll stay where you put me, Lord. I'll stay where you put me. I'll work, dear Lord, though the field be narrow and small, and the ground be fallow and the stones are thick, and there seems to be no life at all. The field is thine own. Only give me the seed. I'll sow it with never a fear. I'll till the dry soil while I wait for the rain and rejoice when the green blades appear. I'll work where you put me, Lord. I'll stay where you put me. I will, dear Lord. I'll face the day's burden and heat, always trusting thee fully when even has come. I'll lay heavy sheaves at your feet. And then when my earth's work is ended and done, in bright eternity's glow, life's record all closed, I surely shall find it was better to stay than to go. I'll stay where you put me, Lord. That was written by Miss Letty Kalman, missionary to Japan, 1901 to 1918. Sometimes, dear friend, the best thing that we can do, the thing that is consistent with God's will for our lives, is to stop and to wait. We don't like it. We're uncomfortable with it. But if it's God's plan, it is the best plan that we can follow. Paul continued to wait in Troas for the Holy Spirit to lead him to his next appointment. He then had a vision, as the scripture tells us. He then had a vision of a man of Macedonia, that is, modern-day Greece. And in this vision, the man said, come over and help us. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke left Troas. They sailed across the sea to Greece or to Macedonia. And they made their way 
to Philippi. The gospel of Jesus Christ had a great impact on the people of Philippi. It was a rather pagan town. There weren't any uh, Jews to speak of. There was no synagogue in Philippi, which means there were less than 10 Jewish men in the city. And so it was a fairly pagan town. A lot of Gentiles there. And the Apostle Paul made it his ministry to preach the gospel of Jesus to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ in Philippi. Blessing number four. Lydia, a prosperous businesswoman, was saved in Philippi. We don't know that much about the woman Lydia, but we do know that the church began to meet in her home. She opened up her home to those who professed faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke had opportunity to minister to people in Lydia's home as they came to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Some say later on, Lydia, because of her business uh, acquaintances, uh, her associates and her contacts, found her way to Rome. And there are some who will even say that Lydia was responsible for starting the Christian church in Rome. We don't know that to be true. But if it is true, what a wonderful blessing it was for Paul and his team to visit the city of Philippi and to lead such a woman to faith in Jesus Christ, who would then later go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to all of her business contacts, wherever her business took her. There was a, another blessing, blessing number five. There was a, a young servant girl who was a demoniac. And she was the servant of a businessman who was involved in the occult. And her responsibility was to help sell, help sell the trinkets involved in the worship of the demon gods uh, that this occult promoted. Well, the Apostle Paul healed her from her demon possession. She was saved. And that was the end of that business. And that was a good thing. To be able to confront Satan, cast out his demons, and close down his business in Philippi. But that brought another problem, another obstacle. The owner of the business was irate. He didn't like what Paul had done. He didn't like the loss of business. And so he stirred the pot and he raised a controversy and Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. Blessing number six. The Philippian jailer was saved as a result of the ministry of Paul and Silas. And not only was the Philippian jailer saved, his family was saved. And through them, a whole host of people in Philippi came to faith in Jesus Christ. On his third missionary journey much later, the Apostle Paul revisited Philippi twice, once at the beginning of the third missionary journey and once at the end of the missionary journey. Five years after that third missionary journey, Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Blessing number seven. From his incarceration 
and Rome. Paul wrote letters to the churches at Ephesus, to Philippi, to Colossae, and a personal letter to Philemon. We have those letters in our New Testament. And we have the book of Philippians in our New Testament, which is a wonderful, wonderful book. Now, all of that is the introduction to the sermon. Okay? So, are we ready? <laughs> yeah. For the next several months, we're going to focus our attention on the letter to Philippians. I was impressed by the Spirit of God to take us into this study because of what we have been through and what we are going through. And I'm glad to hear that Pastor Chris and Pastor David are on board by their comments already in the worship service. The letter to the Philippians is Paul's ode to joy. It's Paul's ode to joy. It's a fascinating book because in it the Apostle Paul gives us a few personal glimpses into his life and into his ministry. He uses his personal reflections and the examples of others to depict what a joy-filled, gospel-focused, spiritually mature Christian looks like. He gives us a glimpse, an understanding of what a joy-filled, gospel-focused, spiritually mature Christian really looks like. And I think we need this at this time. I really, really do. Because many of us look like we've had lemons for breakfast. Many of us sound like we've lost our best friend. Many of us carry ourselves as we walk around like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. And we need to focus our attention again away from what is going on in areas where we cannot affect anything at all and refocus our attention upon the Lord so that we can affect those areas where we have a greater impact. We live in a time when happiness which is all too often confused with joy, where happiness has become a primary focus and a primary goal in life. But we've not been happy for quite a while now, have we? And that's because happiness is largely circumstantial. Happiness is largely circumstantial. And circumstances have not been to our liking over the past year. And for the next couple of days and maybe even the next couple of weeks, circumstances will not be to our liking. I don't know. We'll have to see. 
But joy is not circumstantial. Joy is relational. Joy is not based upon what happens around us. Joy is based upon who's living within us. Joy for the Christian does not flood the spirit or the mind or the soul because of what we're experiencing in life. It floods the soul because who we are experiencing in life. Christian joy comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Spiritual joy comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that, my friends, infinitely displaces happiness as a motivating force in how we live our lives. Seventeen times in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul refers to the joy, the gladness, or the rejoicing that we have in Jesus. 17 times in a very, very brief book. The word joy is kara, kara, and it refers to one's cheerfulness, a calm delight, an exceeding joy, a great gladness that exists within the person. And what is remarkable about this and what is enlightening about this is that the Apostle Paul wrote this ode to joy, the book of Philippians, while he was sitting in jail. No happiness there. But his joy abounded so much in his heart that even the palace guards of the emperor knew of Paul's presence in the prison. So I would like for us to study Paul's Ode to Joy together. And here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to read through the book of Philippians at least once this week. Some of you uh, have a lot of time on your hands and you can read through it more than once. It's not a very long book at all. Read through the book of Philippians, at least once this week. And as you read through it, I want you to think of Paul's situation as you read it. Don't lose sight of the fact that as Paul is writing these words, he's sitting in a Roman prison. And that was not a good place to be. It was not like our minimum security prisons here in the US. It's not like Club Med. It was not a place where anybody would want to find themselves. Think of Paul's situation as you read the letter. And as you read it, listen to his words. Take in what he's actually saying. And then as you read it, know his heart. Know his heart. And you'll find that the Apostle Paul is not obsessed with his situation in a Roman prison. He's overjoyed at the impact that the gospel of Jesus Christ has had on his dear friends in Philippi. And as you read the letter, I want you to ask yourself, am I experiencing joy in my life today? 
Am I experiencing joy in my life today? As you read the letter, ask yourself the question, what sacrifice of praise can I give to Jesus for my experiences this past year? Or for my experiences this past week? What sacrifice of praise can I give to the Lord Jesus for what I'm experiencing? And then the third question, ask yourself, what doxology, what song of praise can I sing to the Lord today out of the joy that I have because He is in my life? What song of praise can I sing to the Lord today out of the joy that I have because He is in my life? My desire is that in the course of our study together, we can personally experience the words of the prophet Nehemiah who said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm going to ask that we focus our attention now on communion, if you will please. And so if you picked up the communion cup as you came in, then if you will take that cup, please. If you did not pick up one, you would certainly want to go into the foyer and you will want to pick up one of those cups. We'll go ahead and take off the top cellophane. Let's stand together as we do this. Let's stand before the Lord as we recommit our lives in light of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us give thanks. Father, thank you for the body that was broken. So that we who were dead in our trespasses and sins might have new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was willing to be nailed to that cross. Thank you that he was willing to be scourged in the praetorium. Thank you that he was willing to sacrifice his body for our salvation. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask. Amen. So as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Then if you want to, then go ahead and uncover the cup. The Apostle Paul continues in the same manner. He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us thank the Lord. Father, you've told us in your word 
Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so I thank you, Lord, that your Son was willing to not only offer his body, but also his blood, so that our sins would be cleansed away, washed away, covered by his precious blood. Thank you, Father, that his sacrifice on the cross was the perfect sacrifice necessary to assuage your wrath and to extend to us grace and mercy to forgive us of our sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your shed blood so that through your blood we would have eternal life. I praise you and I honor your holy name. Amen. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Gospels tell us that after the disciples had partaken of the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn and they went out to the place of prayer. May we go as the Apostle Paul, wherever your Holy Spirit leads us, Lord, may we go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with whomever we meet. Father, I would ask that you will take away any fear and timidity. Give us a boldness for Jesus Christ and his word. Help us, Lord God, to be faithful to you as you have been faithful to us. Father, we go praising your name. We go expecting greater blessings to come through our service. We go, Lord, expecting to exalt the name of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and wherever, Lord God, your Holy Spirit sends us. We thank you, and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and all of God's people said, God bless you, and have a great day in the Lord today. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.